0: Hello and welcome to On Resistance, a horizontal radio collective agitating the airwaves. My name is Bobby, And I'm Jay. Technology. From matches to lighters and abacuses to computers, from rubbing stones together, we have come a long way. But at what cost? Is technology itself to blame or an industry dominated by white human supremacy? Today we will discuss technology, the creators and benefactors, and the
1: role of the state. Technology to me begins as simply a tool um, that what comes to mind is like a potato peeler, like a very simple tool that just interacts with something that you're using together, or a series of tools. Um, But I do think its development has been magnified by electricity, the creation of batteries, um, storing energy, and the way we've begun to define power. So I feel like technology can be about massive trends that end up allowing for little variety, but different brands, expensive products, um, ease of access, but also reliance. Um, And the use of tech can be helpful, but when it isn't in our own hands, if we aren't fully aware of the programming, dependence can end up being dangerous, which makes me think of smartphones, which are very helpful, small, concentrated computers but also tracking devices that can get into our psyche and our social process and become tools of the same society that we project onto them. If I'm being positive about tech culture, then I think we could imagine its use um, to creatively self-organize our society with the goal of distributing resources. Um, If people were cared for and if people cared for each other uh, and tech was used to facilitate that, then I think people might be inspired to continue to be creative uh, versus what we have today, which is tech being used to c- restrict uh, resources and in a competitive, productive, for-profit-based kind of hoarding environment.
0: Which brings me up to the culture behind tech and the the techies, the people who create a lot of the technology that we use today. A lot of the problems that I see with tech culture, one specifically, is that it's white male-dominated. In places like Google, women only make up 17% of the staff. In places like Facebook, they're only 15%. And Start Overflow conducted a survey in April of this year and found out that 92% of the programming jobs were all held by men. When we see this lack of representation of women in the tech industry, it shows the dangers of an industry dominated by patriarchy, misogyny, and creating technology to reinforce it. The same can be said about race. In a report concluded by a U.S. Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, powerhouses like Google, Facebook, Twitter had a whopping 1.3% of their employees combined were Black. On sites like Facebook and Twitter, Black people are the driving force, keeping these sites relevant. With trending hashtags, Unbelievable Twitter stories like Zola or Making Pies Go Viral. We create the content that entertains so many without compensation. And with only 1.3 represented in the job force, there is no representation there either. Um, So what does it mean if there's a lack of representation in offices that are helping shape the future? It is affected from everywhere as simple as when I use automated bathroom sinks at work. And I have to motion my hand around longer than those who have lighter skin than me. Because the equipment is only created to read white palms, or with Facebook real name policy, which if a user is flagged for not using their real name, their accounts are deactivated and they are required to send identification to unlock their account, completely ignoring the fact that trans people may not still choose to use their given name or that people who are more targets for online harassment and abuse may want to use an alias for protection. In resistance, there is a lack of access and accessibility of technology, which leads to limitations on how technology will be used. When a former NSA employee turns whistleblower and decides with his all white cast of journalists which information to the global public is of importance to be leaked, how can we expect for a white cis male or other white journalists to find the same things important?
1: I feel it's, yeah, it's from a spectrum of how tech is used versus how tech is formed, like who's behind the tech, creating the tech. So, for example, like it just came out that Facebook, someone went to Facebook because they had a complaint and they needed something in their account checked and the employee was like, "Okay, sure, I can do that." And just pulled up their account, didn't have to enter any passwords or anything on the spot and the person, you know, they obviously went to Facebook to get a need met, but They were very surprised that, like, there's no password requirement. So he started asking questions of, like, what's the clearance level? Like, does everyone in your company have access to everyone's accounts? Or are there certain people that have access to their accounts? So it's like these companies, we don't know their mechanisms. They say they have privacy, like, privacy protocols. But I don't really think we can believe that. And then it's also, like, tech being used to police, you know, people's thoughts, people's feelings, people's lived experiences. So, like, part of the backlash is, like, you know, using using tech, like, usually there's a lot of, like, mostly white cis men that get offended online or defensive online, and then they'll dox someone. Or they'll, the practice of swatting, basically, of, like, calling cops on someone while you dox them, and then saying there's a crime happening, and then basically putting their lives at risk, and the SWAT team shows up, and then people are targeted by the police, but they didn't do anything, and that's just, like, retaliation from people online that are using that tech to target people that they disagree with. So I feel feel like there's those effects and then there's also how it's formed, how tech is formed. So I feel like it's, there's how it could be formed and how it could be accessible and then there's like what I consider is a pretty elitist, exclusive, separatist type of specialized knowledge that's not very accessible. And I was reading that brown people studying programming are graduating at double the rate they're being hired and are working in very white, homogenous, hostile spaces. Um, and so that's the access available to people who are going through the educational industrial complex. So you can imagine the access available for everyone else. And in terms of programming, uh, there's a programming bootcamp in Pasadena that costs $13,000. Um, so like that obviously creates barriers of access and who's going to be able to participate. And then, obviously, you can self-teach and DIY, which I think lots of people are doing because they know that our world is increasingly being shaped by programming. But resources and funding are going to put certain people ahead that can afford those costs and go to these institutions and get, like, basically most startup jobs and tech jobs are done through networking. So if you're already in a certain circle, um, you're going to get certain places that people who aren't in that circle aren't going to have access to. And I feel like tech is like the new land of startup companies. Think about who is going to have capital to start up a company. The tech industry continues to be basically overwhelmingly white male dominated and likely proportionately benefits other white male dominated organizations and agendas.
0: That ends up reflecting a lot of these companies because they have a sort of frat culture similar to what we see with a lot of these financial industries at Wall Street. If you look at a lot of tech offices, you know, they have basketball courts and musicians performing, there's beer in office, providing a sort of play and work environment which you know would be great for everyone to be able to have, but you're only usually seeing it in these sort of like tech industries or financial industries. And so it also perpetuates a sort of rape culture. And we saw that with Gamergate which was a discussion on sexism and the need for progression in video game culture, which led to the harassment of three prominent female voices in gaming. And you see that happen a lot where these tech-savvy males will use their knowledge as a way to attack people and, as was mentioned before, dox people and release their personal information. And with companies who decide to choose when to enforce their, their standards on how you're supposed to act on the site, it's usually times of when people are being attacked for something racist or sexist that they actually don't do anything. And it's interesting when they do decide to try to like, implement those policies. You could also see this sort of like bro culture in what happened, I believe it was a couple years ago or last year, with Dropbox, um, in San Francisco in the Mission District where it's predominantly a brown community and some kids were playing soccer and there's video of them trying to push out the kids from being able to play in a soccer field where you know people have been playing there forever. You know, It's cliche to say, but it's almost like this revenge of the nerds where I feel like people are doing what they felt like they couldn't do and didn't get to do in high school. And now they're sort of... Implementing that power over people with their excess money and their excess power of, like, knowledge of technology. Because it's really scary when you think about who can be surveilling you. It's not just the state. It can be any individual hacker who has too much time on her hand or who maybe has an obsession or interest or that can hack into your information and read your personal messages or see your pictures. And so that just brings this sort of question about access And when there's a limited amount of access to this resource, that's resource that dominates so much of our world, how is it abused? Who gets to use it? And why is it so that you have to pay $13,000 to be able to get a boot camp crash course on something instead of it being something that is taught?
1: If the tech industry is primarily about creating pathways and jobs for white men. Most corporations, I feel like, are still dominated by white men, but specifically the tech industry, from what I've read from people writing about their accounts as, like, the only black woman in the office or the only brown person in the office, like, they literally are just completely shaped by white patriarchy culture so if we know that like misogyny and racism and ableism and transmisogyny is super magnified especially when it comes to white men what does it mean when they have tech at their disposal to me that means that like tech can be weaponized specifically to amplify misogyny transmisogyny racism and all these other daily ingrained hierarchies that are in that workforce to begin with in that labor space to begin with but also that tech is being used not to combat or undermine these things, but to actually facilitate these hierarchies. And it makes me think of, I have a friend whose parent works in the tech industry in Santa Clara, which is a lot of industrial buildings and electronic shops. And they're all working on microchips for like some contract of somewhere or wherever. So What I was hearing is, like, the culture there, you hear about how technology is taking over. We have all these sci-fi dystopic films about, you know, superheroes using, like, this, like, high tech. And they're always, like, a white male protagonist. And you have all this, like, all these films basically about how tech is going to, like, lead to, like, some sort of revolution or some sort of um, dystopic, like, apocalypse. And... Then you have like the narrative on the ground here, which is like, well, if tech develops fast enough, then we can replace the workers and people can get their work done through machines and then people will have more leisure time. And I just don't see that trickling down. Like I don't see like poor people not having to work because technology is working so efficiently, because if you look at like the way these tech companies are organized, they're actually very well taken care of as workers. Uh, they're not going to be replaced. They're talking about replacing and taking away access and taking away resources from people who have done the productive labor um, in the society. People that work in tech companies, like this one company, their lunches are like $3. You pay $3 and you go into the cafeteria and you get whatever food you want. And the company also provides childcare. So, like the tech companies, that are white male dominated are very clear about providing for their own workers that are mostly white males so that they don't have to, the people who can afford it, not only they're making lots of money, but they don't have to pay for food. They don't have to pay for childcare. And then they're creating the machines and the tech that they're saying are going to replace other people's jobs, but their jobs are taken care of. They're very well taken care of. So I think that there's this like discrepancy where people think that tech is going to be used to liberate people and like possibly if it wasn't being shaped by white men, you know, maybe that would be a possibility. But because we are living in a reality where it is shaped by white men, it just kind of leaves us at a place where, like, tech can be weaponized in all the ways that, like, the hierarchies currently exist.
0: Which brings me to tech's relationship with the state. With things like PRISM, which is an NSA surveillance program where the government, through the assistance of U.S. internet and telecommunication companies, collects the private communications of Americans and things like CISPA, which is Cyber Intelligence Sharing Protection Act, you see how companies like Google, whose model used to be do no evil, are working very closely with the government to basically sell you out. You know, you basically use these resources, you use these sites, thinking that you have some sort of privacy or... and they've been secretly sharing this information with the government this whole time. And with Cispa, they're basically trying to make what they've already been doing legal. And basically have a backdoor to um to the internet, to everything. But at the same time, they're also competing factions. And we saw that with SOPA where which is the Stop Online Privacy Act. And you saw these internet giants really flex their muscle and either go dark or really push for people to call their congressional person and push for stopping the bill, and it successfully killed the bill because it was going to interfere with their business. So when it comes to the privacy or to their users or to the people who um, their clients, like these internet companies, don't care. But when it comes to their profits, um, jeopardizing their own business, then they'll then they'll sort of restrict um, what the government can do with the internet. And when you look at somewhere like Google and you think about drones and like how modern warfare has become, you know, so much technological where you don't really even need individuals running it anymore, it makes you wonder how competitive internet conglomerates can like be comparable to state entities and how much of a threat Do these companies serve to the state and how much are they taking them as a threat? And I think it's a sort of, you know, they'll work against us together, but they're still not really a trust with each other. Um, And I think you see that same with states overall, how they'll share intelligence information, but at the same time, not necessarily trusting each other.
1: Yeah, the state has a monopoly on violence, and tech. So I imagine that like if the intersection of hier- of the hierarchy of violence and tech works together, it's probably going to try to further practice oppression. So the most troublesome to me is I think the state kind of enjoys some sort of deniability in allowing private corporations to develop tech independently without government grants or restrictions. And then the government picks up the tech and like will adapt it for use in enforcing violence here or in Um, in war elsewhere. But through capitalism, I feel like the state is also able to diversify the tech options and develop a variety of weapons and surveillance to better control populations of people. So if, like, each corporation, you know, if one corporation's working on this breakthrough tech and other corporations hear about it, this is going to create a new market, basically, in that specific type of tech. And they're all probably working to get that government contract in the end or outsourced to other governments, because I feel like a lot of oppression technology is is traded, like you were saying. I was looking up other programs that have developed, and I found information on this program called the Riot Program. And it was actually developed five years ago by Raytheon, which is one of the world's largest weapons manufacturers, like one of the top five or something. And it stands for Rapid Information Overlay Technology. Um, It was designed in 2010, but it it was actually leaked in 2013, and its goal was to gather intelligence from people's social media accounts and use it to map and predict future behavior. So every single piece of information or photo or status that is uploaded onto any social media platform usually carries with it, embedded in the image or the transmission, uh, coordinates of where it was coming from and where it's going. So what they would do is they would like piece together all the coordinates and kind of create a map of your social life and then use that so they don't have to like actually case your house or um, they can actually just like map out your social media information and kind of see where you're going to be and make predictions based on that. At the time when it was exposed in 2013, it hadn't been sold to any specific clients but was revealed to be shared with the United States government in 2010 as part of a joint research and development project. But this information was gathered by a video leaked to The Guardian, and nothing actually has been reported about the riot program since 2013. When these private security firms and weapons manufacturers do have a leak, we never hear about it again. I don't know if that means that the program isn't happening. I feel like there are probably, since 2010, so many different programs that have actually gone farther than what this program was seeking to do. And then there's like private security firms, right, that have clients like Raytheon that are actually working to contain and restrict information on the malpractice of these corporations or industries, militaries, governments. So when there is a leak on a private security firm, we don't just find out about that one corporation. We find out about all their clients, which I think is a risk because they're supposed to be risk management. These leaks are very selective and we don't really have access to verify a lot of the information that comes out.
0: And companies like Raytheon, Northrop Grumman, Lockheed Martin, and General Dynamics, they benefit from warfare. After the Paris attacks, it was a big payday for both these companies and Wall Street the following days. And with the ever so growing technology to kill and exclusiveness to white dominated countries, it creates a fearful imbalance in the world. When you think of Who are the top countries manufacturing weapons right now? It's America, Russia, and Israel. And how they basically control sales of the weapons industries. It allows for a perfect protection of white supremacy. The newest, most technological advanced weapons stay with white countries. And the outdated hand-me-downs go to war-torn countries of color. Either way, they profit. Either way, they stay dominant. They also are using... People of color as testing for their weapons. So, you look at places like Palestine and places in Africa like Somalia where they can test their chemical warfare or they can use their new weapons, and that's part of their advertising. Specifically, Israel advertises about the fact that their weapons have been used on actual civilians and populations. So, it creates a culture that needs war to be able to to continue to finance these companies who will benefit from the military-industrial complex.
1: Yeah, tech, I think, has a huge market in criminalization here and globally, streamlining imprisonment and targeting and repression, but not something that would ease any type of conditions like food access or, you know, just even tech access or... An example is during the social unrest in and black-centered rebellion in Baltimore against police terrorism and the execution of Freddie Gray, there was leaked that there was a crisis management firm called Zero Fox that was analyzing uh, social media during the rebellions and it would isolate people into threat actors and influence actors. And I feel like this is a logic that the state has in categorizing people, and I think the problem with technology is that um, people have been open to tech because of how it how consumer tech operates and also because the government says that it uses tech to help make it more transparent and communication between the government and its people Um, but realistically there is no transparency with the government the government you know is using it and perfecting it to categorize and surveil other people so that's what's happening is an example here during social movements but then also like Tech is used in aggressive operations to invade other countries, to sabotage their people and their economies, because there is a monopoly on tech and violence. And so when other countries are trying to develop tech or, say, nuclear weapons, like whether I agree... Or disagree or not with nuclear weapons it's irrelevant because the united states has nuclear weapons and just wants to dictate and control and like restrict what technology other states have access to not so much that they care whether that state is going to use it on their people it's more about maintaining that monopoly but then like yeah the state will sometimes trade information for leverage with other states as evident by the ongoing relationship with not just the state or government, but between our local law enforcement, like LA and NYPD and the state of Israel, the Israeli Defense Forces, and in addition to that, Israeli private corporations. I was thinking about war in general and how... Tech is one of the equalizers. Like, if you can get access to tech, then everyone can do the same thing with that tech. But then I was thinking about, like, what kind of tech are we talking about? Like, are we talking about weapons? Are we talking about guns? Are we talking about, like, in the Vietnam War, it was Agent Orange. In the war in Iraq, it was depleted uranium to sabotage reproduction. In the Israeli occupation of Palestine, it's the use of white phosphorus. So then I'm thinking about biological weapons as tech and how not everyone has the same access to to even guns for self-defense, like self-defense is a white supremacist concept that benefits mostly whites in the United States. And just the fact that if you look at, for example, Germany or Nazi Germany, um, local U.S.-based companies were outsourcing their technology to help the Nazi state Um, For example, IBM, which is still a corporation that is in effect today, helped develop the tech to track people detained and executed in concentration camps. Similarly today, prisons and security firms are organizing themselves to better imprison poor people to keep biological imprints of people's eyes or fingerprints or their DNA without any kind of like checks. So as this tech is being developed, there isn't exactly any type of accountability being developed alongside of it. So it's kind of just happening as a market boom, and the policy change that is happening is allowing for more tech, not necessarily restricting tech. It's this huge market of criminalization globally and domestically,
0: and all this technology that's used for warfare ends up having a huge effect on the planet and in our quests, or not in our. I'm not going to own it. Um, in their quest of white human supremacy, what does technology effect have on the planet? A lot of people have hope that we can use technology to save us from all the crime that technology has done. But when we think about, you know, the future, there's all these competing factors that kind of contradicts the necessary like idea that technology will will always be advancing and looking the same as it does right now. Um, When you think of peak oil and just how like much of our resources are dependent on things that pollute this planet and how we're really not going to be able to continue to keep the production or the use of it the same, you know, it makes you wonder really what is advancement. We used to have matches and now we have lighters that are plastic that go into landfills. So is that really advancement? To limit our amount of space that we're taking on this planet, it doesn't necessarily mean that we have to go completely back to primitive ways, but it does mean that the sort of abuse that is going on with the planet, with these corporations, um, with capitalism, has to stop.
1: I kind of think about it as like, while we figure out how to interrupt the cycle and the weaponization of technology that reinforces hierarchy, we can still be developing our own tools we can still be talking about what a tool means and the responsibility of developing those tools and how to like trickle down that information and make it more accessible developing our own programming um and learning our own narratives and I feel like that can be completely done at the same time as we're like talking about reliance um I feel like we have to learn these things and like define them for ourselves and like find our own tech and appropriate The current tech that exists on our own terms but also like not rely on it because there could be some sort of energetic shift on the planet that wipes out for example electricity and then like it wouldn't be our choice whether like we have it or not we would still have to prepare for that so it's like we can learn all these things but then we also have to look at the conditions under which technology is already being used and like how it's being built It's different if you have like a small tool that you created to help you, I'm just going to bring up the potato peeler again, versus electronics, which has like so many different chips and parts and metals in it. Literally every single one of those chips and metals is being mined in particular conditions. So I think that we have to shift to having like an end goal in mind, like an end use in mind. If something's just going to be thrown away and wasted when it's done, is that worth The conditions of violence that were used to create it are we using that in a way that is like honoring the labor that went into that and so like one of the mainstream solutions we have now is recycling or e-waste and so how can we build that recycling end goal into something as we create it so like for example the i would think of like tires or rubber or something we have a lot of products now that we create without an end use or waste goal in mind going forward, like shifting to a place where like, as we develop something, we're already anticipating how it's going to break down or not break down. And like what those continued uses can be to really just maximize the use of the tech that we have. I'm not going to, you know, no one's going to come to your house and like take your game boy or take your tech or anything, but like, trying to shift a mentality of like interrupting the production process like we would just try to find a way to stop producing tech that is harmful that would be interrupting capitalism white supremacy kind of autonomizing our use and creation of tech and programming so that we're not reliant on kind of the current model of technology production that exists right now to reinforce the state and white supremacy and just general harm across the world and the planet.
0: So I think that's just really important resistance-wise that we try to become fluent and understand and learn these things ourselves as much as possible so that while it exists, we know how to resist. You are listening to On Resistance. We're on every Friday except for the first of the month. You can listen to this full show at www.soundcloud.com on-resistance and you can also listen to our past shows there follow us on twitter at on resistance la check out our facebook or email us at OnResistanceRadio resistance radio at gmail.com thank you so much for listening